Very few of us, if we feel sad, go, oh, wait, I'm noticing myself feeling sad. We just get wrapped up in the sadness and then we over-identify with our feelings. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with author and fellow podcaster, Christine Hassler. She says, it's time that you give yourself permission to feel. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. A big shout out to my OG listeners and purpose chasers from all over the world. Thank you so much for continuing to show up, for sharing, for rating, reviewing. I could not keep coming back week after week without you. And a big welcome to our new listeners. Thank you so much for being here, for giving us a try. I'm going to say that you're going to love us. So just go ahead and click subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode each and every Thursday. We are a community that believes that wealth is so much more than wealth building. It's so much more than money and material possessions. The true definition of wealth is well-being. And so we seek to create well-being in every area of our lives. And that's why we have these important conversations like this one today during this month, May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I'm always looking for ways to tap back in to the fit pillar, which is our first pillar. And it's all about becoming your best self, not just physically, but also mentally. And so I can't wait for you to hear this incredible conversation with this wonderful woman, Christine Hassler. We truly have just started to create a really great relationship and I hope to cultivate it further, but we did a pod swap. So I was on her amazing podcast over it and on with it. If you have not heard this podcast, you need to subscribe to it right after you get through this episode. And once you get through, you'll understand why. But we did a pod swap. So I was there and now she's here and I cannot wait for you to hear what Christine has to say about giving yourself permission to feel. Now, before we get into this episode, I'm also super excited about heading out today. I get to meet this weekend in person, all of the ladies from the Mastery and Momentum Mastermind. Yay! I'm so excited. They have been with me on a journey starting January 7th to right now. It's a year-long commitment, but this is our first retreat, and I am so excited about the progress they have made. I'm so excited about the bonds that have been formed, and I'm so proud of just everything that they have accomplished Several of these ladies have gotten more done in the first quarter of 2019 than they've gotten done in the several years leading up to. And it is amazing to see what radical accountability can do. So ladies, I know you're all listening as we're headed down. I am so excited to serve you. We'll make sure that we post pictures throughout the weekend and share little snippets if we can. But there is nothing like forming community, especially for Women who are high achievers who usually don't have any place to go for support. That's what Mastery Momentum is all about. You're used to getting things done, but you don't always have anyone to ask for help yourself. And that's what this community is. So watch out when you see the pictures on Instagram. This is what it is. It's the Mastery Momentum ladies getting together, acting like they've known each other for 10 years. <laughs> and I also want to share with you 
Today's episode is brought to you by Holistic Healing with Amy. Amy Soomstein was a critical care nurse for nearly 20 years. She didn't go back into industry because she promised herself that she'd rather keep people out of the hospital than be a part of the temporary fixes that happen inside of the hospital. Using Tower Gardens, Amy is now helping the masses learn how to heal themselves with the right foods. Now, do you remember when we had that E. coli breakout last year? I actually went live with Amy on my Insta stories because we were talking about how much it sucks to finally buckle down and try to get your full servings of fruits and vegetables and then realize you have no control over the pesticides or the hygiene of the pickers. When you grow your own, you can literally go from tower to table in minutes and you can ensure your food is safe and that you're saving money because the tower and everything that comes with it can last up to three years. Now, the tower is literally five feet on wheels, so you can use it indoors or out and safely grow your own fruits, vegetables, or herbs. It's easy to assemble. There's no weeding, digging, or messy soil. It's perfect for small spaces and even if you don't have a yard. And it's eco-friendly and sustainable. We're talking about it uses 90% less land and water than traditional gardening. So there's no waste. You pick only what you eat and stop trashing rotten produce. And this thing is amazing, you guys. You can grow everything from Brussels sprouts to cabbage, cucumbers, spinach, squash, strawberries, tomatoes, lavender, oregano, you name it. And it can probably be grown on the Tower Garden. If you're ready to heal holistically and you want to talk to Amy about what foods you should grow for what ailments and how to do that, you should head to HolisticHealingWithAmy.com right now. That's HolisticHealingWithAmy.com and schedule your free call now. Okay, so now let me tell you a little bit more about Christine. Christine Hassler is the best-selling author of three books, most recently Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Past. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life she could be passionate about. For over a decade as a keynote speaker, retreat facilitator, spiritual psychologist, and life coach, and the host of the top-rated podcast, Over It and On With It, she has been teaching and inspiring people around the world. Christine believes once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make the meaningful impact we are here to make. Without further ado, here's my girl, Christine Hassler. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Christine. I am so excited to be here. I'm so glad we finally pressed record because otherwise we just sit and chat for hours. (laughs) I know we already started saying so much juicy stuff even before, but I was sharing with you that the moment you stepped on the stage at the Bliss Project, first of all, I was supposed to be gone because I spoke the day before Mm -hmm. and I was supposed to head out early that morning and I came in during your session and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, right, right before you were coming up. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I wrote all these asterisks and underlines and not dog-eared <laughs> your page <laughs> in the workbook. I'm like, she must be on the show. I must know her. I must know her. And then to have an opportunity to connect with you at the end of the month when we were doing that content day, uh, which was so cool. So fun. I'm like, oh, now I really love her. You're awesome, Christine. Oh, so well, the girl crush was very mutual. I was, you know, speaking the next, we weren't speaking the same day, but I saw you in the program and I'm like, I need to go hear her speak. And you were the one person I went in and listened to on Saturday and I was blown away. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yep. You were the one person I came down and listened to. Oh and my I was gosh. like, 
He's uh, one of the best female speakers I've ever seen. And you made me laugh and you made me think and you made me cry. And you're such an amazing storyteller. I was like, I need to know her. So I'm glad that we had this mutual girl crush and we are making it happen now because I would have been sad if we didn't connect more. (laughs) Me too. Absolutely. And I I missed my whole brunch that day and everything. I was like, I can't go. I (laughs) I can't go. I can't leave all this awesomeness right here. So what I loved about your entire talk at Bliss Project is that you gave us the permission to feel, that you mm-hmm. talked about permission to feel. And something that I really took away was allowing myself to feel all the feelings mm-hmm. with tremendous self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can yeah. You talk about that and why it's necessary? Yeah. Well, I think when it comes to feeling our feelings, we get pretty confused a lot of people, especially women, think that we feel our feelings. Is that they're listening right now? You might think, no, I feel pretty mad or I feel pretty stressed or I feel pretty sad or whatever it may be. But most of the time, you're kind of thinking about your feelings or you're letting them out in, in what I call leaky ways. So you may be really angry about something, but you're not having what I call an anger burn, which I'll talk about in a moment. You're just irritable, you're snapping at people everybody's making you mad. Like that's, that's how the anger is leaking out. You may feel sad and maybe you're crying a little bit, but it's more that kind of victim-y cry or that uh, pathetic cry of, of judging yourself while you're crying and you're not really getting it all out, or you just kind of feel depressed and you've lost your mojo. So a lot of times we think we've, we're feeling our feelings, but we're actually not, we're still suppressing them. And when we do actually feel them, we tend to analyze and judge them. So like I was saying, we have a cry, but we are feeling sorry for ourselves, or we are feeling like we shouldn't cry. We should be stronger. Why are we so pathetic? We're trying to figure out why we're upset. We're wanting something to be different. We're in our head instead of just being in our body with our feelings. And for any of you that are parents, and I know, Patrice, you have a daughter, mm-hmm. You, when your daughter is upset, like going in and trying to fix it or telling her to stop it is not healthy. And you know, that's not going to oh, make her feel loved. What do we do when our child gets upset? We hold them. We say, it's okay. Let it out. I gotcha. It's okay. We don't go in, hopefully, and analyze them and judge them and shame them. Unfortunately, a lot of us growing up were analyzed, judged, or shamed for having our feelings. And so we decided at a young age that, oh, well, I have to be strong. I have to be a good girl or a big boy. I can't cry. I can't show my feelings because I'm not going to be soothed or it's going to upset other people or make other people uncomfortable. So we get in the habit at a very young age of suppressing our feelings. And so much of our work as adults is to reparent ourselves Mm -hmm. and be that loving, compassionate parent with ourselves when we have our feelings. So to have a cry and instead of wanting it to be over or judging our ugly cry face or whatever it may be, really just being with it and and being that place of compassion and just saying to ourselves, it's okay, let it out. Because there's always a part of us that's experiencing the feeling, so experiencing the sadness. And then there's a part of us that is witnessing it and can hold us. I actually went through something pretty intense this weekend that might be a good example. Should I share that? Absolutely. Okay. So I met the love of my life about a year ago and I've been married before. And after my divorce, I was single for about eight years because I was really calling in someone who valued personal growth and spirituality and had done the depth of work that I had. I really wanted to feel met and, and held. 
So I waited a long time and looked all around the world. I ended up importing him from Australia because I couldn't find anyone here. <laughs> but um, he went away this weekend to facilitate a men's retreat and he didn't have cell service. And I travel a lot, but it was the first time in our relationship, he's the one who left. And I was struck with this like incredible feeling like he was going to die. Like I was convinced that I wasn't going to see him again. There was a part of me that was in such terror that he wasn't coming back. So I've learned in doing what I do that when we have an emotional response that isn't exactly appropriate to the situation, you know, that's bigger than the Uh situation calls for, that means we're in a trigger. That means we're in a big feeling that probably got suppressed and hasn't really been dealt with. And so whenever you're in that place where your emotional response is bigger than what's actually happening, that's an indicator that something from the past is coming back up. And this feeling was awful. Like I felt nauseous. I felt sad in the night. And then I do what I tell people not to do. I judge myself for having the feeling and I try to talk myself out of it. But here's the thing. Our rational mind cannot soothe our feelings. The only way to soothe our feelings is to feel them. So I sat down Saturday afternoon and I went right into it. I went right into that feeling of terror and fear. And I just started bawling and crying. And the memory that it brought forward is being a little a mesh, not a little, a, a lot a mesh with my mother as a child and having an anxious attachment and being a little girl. And whenever they, my parents would go out on date night, they'd have to call every hour and tell me they were still alive because I'd be so scared that she'd die. And so what this feeling was bringing back was an old feeling of fear and terror I had as a child. So I got to feel that again, but instead of not knowing what to do with it, like I didn't know what to do with it as a child, the mother part of me was able to just be talk myself through it and say, let this out. It's okay. You're safe. I got you. Because as children, we don't have like an adult part of us to hold us. But as adults, we do have this wise, compassionate part to hold us as we're going through the feelings so that we can get all the way to the other side. And I was able to get to a place of feeling really calm and soothed because I was able to release the feeling I was suppressing. Wow, that's good. I'm wondering though, I can hear someone asking, in the midst of that, how do you tap into those two roles? Like how do you step outside of yourself and and ask yourself the right questions, I yeah. guess. You yeah. Know? Well, this is what I teach people to do in my, in my books and my courses is because this is something that I had to learn to do over time. Just like if you all of a sudden say, I want to learn how to hip hop or salsa dance, it takes practice. You don't turn into an amazing salsa dancer on your second lesson. So the very first thing is the awareness to know that you have emotions, but you're not your emotions. You have a mind, but you are not your mind. And when you're going, like when you notice you're feeling something, just noticing you're feeling sad. See, very few of us, if we feel sad, go, oh, wait, I'm noticing myself feeling sad. We just get wrapped up in the sadness and then we Uh over identify with our feelings. Oh, wait, say that again. We over identify (laughs) with our feelings. We over identify with this feelings. We say, I'm sad. No, a part of you is feeling sad. You are not sad. That is not who you are. You are, ha- you are experiencing a feeling. And if you can notice that, just like you notice your reflection in the mirror and you're able to see, it's like you're able to separate the observed from the observer. So if you notice, oh, wow, I'm feeling sad. 
all of a sudden you access that there's a part of you that isn't sadness, right? Because you can't be sadness and notice sadness at the same time. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you first, you distinguish it. You're like, I am feeling sad. Okay. I'm going to allow myself to feel this feeling. And then you feel it. And then you ask, what do I need? Okay. I need to cry. And so you let yourself cry. And then maybe you notice again, because just like you're not your feelings, you're not your mind. You may notice the mind come in and go, you should really get over this. Or this, this feels awful. I don't want to go here. And then the witness observer part of you can notice that, oh, there's my mind who's, you know, trying to keep me safe, who's maybe a little scared of this emotion, wanting to judge me and talk me out of it. So just that slowing down and noticing your mind, noticing your feelings gives you access to the part of you that isn't wrapped up in any of it, that can really just notice and hold space for it. That's incredible. That's incredible. You know, since hearing you speak at Bliss Project, I have kind of named my feelings. <laughs> um, I think you gave an example about like having compassion for nervous Nelly. So yeah. I've been <laughs> giving giving myself these names or giving, you know, those parts of me, I guess, that come up those names. Like, okay, this is anxious Angela. What's yeah. the problem? <laughs> I love it. Why? What's this anxiety about? You know, like, where is this coming from? And the thing I just keep reminding myself, because to your point, the mind does jump in to try to save you, right? Or protect you. And you start having these judgments, like you should know better than this, especially for people who are like um, really spiritual or faith-based. Like, I think we are one of the biggest to judge ourselves about, well, you shouldn't feel like this because you say you have faith. You have faith. You've seen things work out for you before. You've seen this thing before. What's wrong with you? And I've been like reminding myself to have compassion for anxious Angela, like have compassion for her because I remembered you said there is no judgment in compassion. Zero judgment. Co means with passion actually means suffering. It comes from the passion of the Christ. And we've evolved the word passion over time to mean what we love. And so often what we love comes from our suffering. So it seems like an appropriate evolution Mm -hmm. of the word, but compassion has zero judgment and zero analysis. And you're right. The more personal growth or spiritual awareness we have, the more we have to condemn ourselves. But with feeling, you know, it's again, like we have to remember that so much with, with our feelings, it's coming from like a five-year-old part of us and back to anyone who has parents. I'm not a kid, but I've been, I'm not a kid. I don't have kids yet, but I've been around a lot of kids. I have nephews that I'm really close to and rationalization and judgment does not work with a five-year-old when they're upset. Right. It's not going to work with that part of you. And what it's another form of suppression. And it's, it's probably the most polite, politically correct form of suppression. Other things, you know, are numbing ourselves with any kind of drugs, alcohol, overworking, any of those kinds of things. But we come up with these, the ego, which is the part of us that is very attached to our survival, comes up with these ways to attempt to get us out of our feeling and to attempt to, to try to help us numb, to try to help us not feel. Not because feelings are bad, but because we live in a world where we're really not taught how to process them. We live in a very head-based world where so many of us feel judged on what we look like, what we say, what we do, what we produce in the world. So external achievement and things that are created by the mind and by work are more valued than people who are 
highly emotionally responsive and intelligent and, and sensitive. So we learn at a very young age that head is good, thinking is good, feeling is bad. And that goes both to how we're conditioned by society and like I was saying, how we're conditioned by our parents. You know, either we're shamed for our feelings or, and this happens a lot with well-meaning parents who totally love their children, but they get so uncomfortable with their children's suffering that they go in and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things I think as a parent is you've got to let your kid feel. You've got to let them feel sad. You've got to let them feel angry and, and help them work through it rather than going in and trying to fix it for them. That's one of the things that I've always done with Reagan. Mm. And I don't know if it's just because I've, you know, been a self-development junkie for a while, but I've always just known what it felt like to be forced to suppress my feelings Mm. as as a little kid. And so from the time she was really little, I would give her the space to say she didn't feel like talking. Like I would give her the space to be like, you know, not right now. (laughs) Right. And where the way I grew up, that would be like not the thing to do with an adult, right? Like that is not what you do. If I say, let's talk, it's time to talk. But we've gone through different seasons or just different things that happen where every day she gets in the car, she wants to talk about a lot of things. Someday she has a freaking bad day. And she's like, I, you know, I just, I don't feel like talking right now. And I'm like, cool. Yep. I get it. Like you have the freedom to, or, you know, or the flexibility to hear to say you've had a a bad day or you just don't feel like it or you're tired. Mm -hmm. But I remember being a kid where it would be forced. Mm. Like if I said, we're going to talk, we're going to (laughs) talk. Right. Like no consideration for what I may be experiencing. Right. What happens nine times out of 10 is once she's got to sit with her emotions and she's ready to articulate or she now knows how to articulate, she'll come and say, well, this is what happened. Absolutely. And it was just about giving her the time to process her own feelings. Yep. Yep. And and to be with them and to feel them, you know, and you were able to go, okay, versus, well, just shake it off anyway, or another day's tomorrow. And we we have to be careful with the positive pep talking with, with others and especially with ourselves when we're feeling anything. And that's another way that we numb or try to bypass feelings. We, we go to the silver lining. We jump right to, well, you know, tomorrow's another day or I got this and that's okay. I'm all for positive thinking as long as it doesn't diminish feeling. So mm. like with the example with your daughter, something happened. And if you had said, you know what? Tomorrow's another day. It would have planted a seed that she can't talk to you about it, that she just needs to stuff it away and get to tomorrow. And that's what a lot of us do. We just stuff it away and move on. And that's why so many people feel like they're just going through the motions of life. And it's just like one day after another, they don't feel like anything maybe is terribly wrong, but they don't feel like anything's terribly right because they've stuffed and suppressed and disconnected from their feelings so much in their life that they're a little bit numb and they've lost their mojo. They've lost their creativity. They've lost their passion. They've kind of lost their zest for life because when you suppress quote unquote, the negative feelings, guess what you have less access to as well? Joy, creativity, passion, all of those things. You know, when I learned how to do anger work, so I, um, just a little backstory as why I'm so passionate about this. I was put on Prozac and antidepressant at 11 years old. Wow. And yeah. And because I had like bullying, I had sexual trauma that I didn't even know about. I didn't even remember it till my thirties. 
And I, I just, and I was also a very highly sensitive kid, which is a gift now for my work. But as a kid, I wasn't just feeling my feelings. I was feeling other people's feelings too and had no clue how to deal with all of that. And my parents just saw me kind of wither away. And, you know, it was what, the early 90s? And it was, what do you do then? You put someone on medication. So I got put on Prozac. And so in that moment, I formed a very strong story that something's wrong with me and mm. that feeling feeling is bad. <laughs> and so I was really kind of numbed out from 11 till 30 when I got off of them. And I've been off them for nearly a decade now and, and never have struggled in terms of going back. And the reason I was able to get off of them is because I had amazing teachers that taught me how to do emotional release work, like how to... I call it the temper tantrum technique. And I was inspired by watching kids because when I would watch kids have a temper tantrum, if they weren't interrupted, they would get to self-soothing. They would just work their way all the way through and eventually be fine. If they were interrupted or told to be quiet or soothed, it would just make them more upset. But most of the time, if they just were allowed to like, you know, I saw my friend's friend do this with her kids. She'd be like, you're upset. Go have your, go have your expression. And they would just go have their temper tantrum and then be fine. And I'd watch this arc of emotion, you know, the anger and the yelling and then a little yes yelling and then the yelling turns to sobbing and then the sobbing turns to weeping and then the weeping turns to that like (laughs) where you're kind of crying, but you're kind of soothing yourself. And then it turns to like rocking or just soothing Mm -hmm. and eventually you're through it. And I learned how to do that on my own. My, my first coach came into one of our sessions with a huge pillow that was duct taped and a tennis racket and gardening gloves. And she said, put on these gardening gloves, grab this tennis racket and hit that pillow and scream. And I looked at her like she was crazy. <laughs> and um, she, I said, why am I doing that? And she, she said, because you're angry, baby. And I go, I'm not angry. <laughs> she said, you've got a lot of suppressed anger in there. It's not just sadness, it's anger too. And I think as women, we're really good at suppressing anger. And from my point of view, that's why so many women have thyroid problems, weight problems, like lack of access to their sexuality, um, you know, problems in in relationship. I can go on and on, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is because, especially for women, we have, we don't have access to a healthy expression for anger. So we end up more depressed or more irritable or, trying to kind of feed our emotions in other ways. What are healthy ways to express anger? Because I definitely think I'm, I'm in that majority of women where um, when I feel anger, I actually, I think I do. I suppress it and I turn it into like, okay, stay calm. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, come. which suppresses it. So I understand that if you're in the grocery store and you get upset, you can't start hitting a pillow with a tennis racket. So I no. understand that. So there's two things. One, when I get triggered and I really feel it and I'm not in a place like I'm not at home and I'm not in a place where I can just deal with it immediately, I make a date with my feeling because I don't want to suppress anymore because I don't plan on being depressed. I want to like be tapped into like my fullest potential and I want to feel I want to feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I catch it and I'm like, hi, anger, feel you. I make a date with you at 8 p.m. tonight. We, I, will, I will feel you. And so I tell the anger at 8 p.m. tonight, we're going to deal with you. You just make a date with the feeling. And then in terms of processing it, there's a couple ways. 
there's something that I call release writing, which is a form. It's not journaling because the thing with journaling is that your head is going to get into it because you're trying to write nice sentences. Release writing is you get pen, you get paper and you just start writing and it'll be chicken scratch because you're writing as fast as you're feeling. So it's just like getting your, it's it's basically like feeling dumping or mind dumping and you're just writing, 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 writing. And you should feel emotion as you're writing it. And then you write it basically until the emotion shifts, until you don't feel as big of a charge and then you rip it up or burn it. So it's not something you keep. Um. The other thing to do is like put, move the energy, put on loud music, a song that has like a kind of feel to it and move the energy and use your voice. Somatic therapy is one of my favorite forms of therapy because it's not talk, 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 talk. It's getting at the emotion and moving it and making sounds. You know, one thing that I used to do was I would, especially when I was still working for other people is I would go, I'd go to my car and I'd sit in my car and I would just yell. I would just be like, I'm angry because, and I would just get it out. Um, and then there's the advanced kind, which is get a pillow and get, I use those. Um, I don't use a tennis racket. I use, you know, those pool noodles, those, mm-hmm, noodles. Mm-hmm. I cut those in half and I have one of those. And when I feel really angry, I just yell and beat the crowd out of a pillow. And it's not just about catharsis. It's about moving the energy. And then at the end of that big emotional release, you go into forgiveness. You go into, I forgive myself for judging myself as being wronged. I forgive, I forgive myself for, you know, judging that other person or buying into the misunderstanding that whatever, like you move into like letting the anger out of your body through forgiveness. And usually for most of us, after we release a lot of anger, we'll either go into sadness, we'll either cry because that's what's underneath the anger, or you feel amazing. I've done anger sessions where I like let the anger out and I start laughing hysterically because you just feel so free because you're not carrying that burden or you realize how ridiculous the upset was. And it's so much easier to have conversations with someone that you might be angry at, or you realize that you have every right to be angry and you need to have a different conversation. We just see so much more clearly when we're not highly charged by a feeling we're suppressing. Wow. I love that you said move that it moves into forgiveness or you should move it into forgiveness because my sense is if you don't move into forgiveness, it'll just be one of those things that you keep rehashing. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, after I do any kind of emotional release work and I do this with my clients, um, you know, I feel and I learned, you know, because any, anything that is coming up, any thing that we're triggered by one, like we've talked about. Often it's a trigger to the past. The things that we tend to get angry about repeat. The kind of people that we attract into our life that trigger us are similar. The frustrations, the expectation hangovers tend to have a theme. So when we do this kind of emotional release work and we get more clarity, we're able to look at it and have a deeper level of understanding. And so get to a deeper level of forgiveness. And often the person we need to forgive is ourself. So for example, in the... In the um, example I shared with you about my own life, about being so in terror this weekend that I was going to lose Stephanos, I was really judging myself for that. I was like, come on, Christine. Like, and, and, then, and then my mind that knows law of attraction is like, am I going to create this because I'm worried about this? I mean, I was just spinning out. And because I, did the, I went into the feeling and I, I did a little anger work and I went into the sadness and I was able to realize, oh, wow, this is just a little girl. 
This is just an old scared part of me. I was able to forgive myself for judging myself because I, I was able to get to the root of what was really upsetting me. And so often, and this is what I'm committed to with people is like helping them get to the root of what truly is upsetting them or what truly is the block in their life or what truly is causing them to experience the kind of the same frustrations or disappointments over and over and over again. So they can go back and I say, feel it, deal with it and heal it. And then you have a much different experience in your present and future. One of the things that I loved about your talk was that you were bringing people up from the audience. Mm-hmm. And this played out in a couple different ways where you were just able to tap into the fact that it was the little girl speaking. Yeah. And go back to, to the root of where some of the questions that they asked you really stemmed from. Yeah. And you said something that just, ooh, like took me out. And it was, I, I think it was a young lady who was speaking in particular about her lover, wanting her lover to be better with finances. So, you know, I perked up. <laughs> that was that was right up my alley, right? And you said, every human being has to go through the dignity of their own awakening. You wouldn't go into a nursery and wake up a sleeping baby mm-hmm. and you're not taking into account the other person's curriculum. Like, can you just talk about... That Because I think so often, to your point, we need to forgive ourselves, Mm -hmm. but in forgiving other people who may, you know, create these scenarios together, we create these scenarios that trigger something in us. Yeah. There is also the forgiveness of the other person and understanding that they're on their own path and their own journey that we do not control. Yeah, we, we don't, you know, people can change, but we can't change people. And so there's a couple things I'd love to say about that. First... Yes, this was this was my lesson in my former marriage. <laughs> I really was trying to change my ex-husband. And that's when that I, a counselor said to me, you've got to give him the dignity of his process. And I was like, well, his process is not on my timeline. And, <laughs> right. and, and I make things happen in the world. I'm an entrepreneur. What do you mean? And yeah, she just kind of looked at me and rolled her eyes and smiled. And so, but that's, that's what I realized is like forcing somebody into anything isn't love. And actually it can, especially with men, if you want to really slow them down, try to change them because they'll just become more resistant. And we never know what someone's soul curriculum is. And this is so important for us as spouses, for us as parents, for us as leaders, for us as friends, because a lot of times we're convinced that something would be better for that person. Like we're convinced that if only this person could have a baby, then that would be good for them. If only this person would deal with their issue about their father and that would help the money situation, then that would be better. But we are not God. None of us are master of the universe. You know, everyone is on their own unique path. And I think that when we accept that, we have way more freedom and then we can take more responsibility for our own stuff. Because another way that we distract from our own lessons, from feeling our own feelings, is we get super obsessed with changing someone else and and, and pay more attention to how that person needs to heal, how that person needs to change, rather than looking at our own stuff. With that young woman that you were talking about that I brought up to stage, that was the first part of the conversation. And then the second part of the conversation was more about how she was playing into this pattern. And, and why, why it was kind of set up this way. So the, the situation was he wasn't making money and 
that was frustrating her. But yet what we were able to discover in her is she had some walls up Mm because she had been hurt by people, especially her own father. And unconsciously, she was attracting men where she had an out. She was attracting men where she had like one big problem that would prevent her from letting them in completely. Because when I asked her, why are you with him? She lit up. She loved loved him. (laughs) Oh, she loved him. She said all these reasons. And what I was able to like feel from her is just, you know, she feels safer when she has control. She was very well put together. There were walls. There were walls around her heart. Not because anything was wrong with her, but because that's what she had to do as a little girl to protect herself because there was just a lot of pain and a lot of heartbreak. And when we have a lot of heartbreak as a kid, someone abandoning us, parents abusing us, critical parents, or just parents that weren't emotionally available or bullying or rejection, whatever. There's, there are so many ways we can get our heart broken as a kid. Then we, we want to protect it. So we put walls around it. And so having this man where she had this one kind of thing that upset her that she could obsess on in a way that was her protection. She could be like, oh, well, he's not this. So I don't yeah. have to let him in fully. And so her opportunity was really like, can you love him? Can you give him the dignity of his process? Can you love him fully? And I guarantee if she were able to do that and not talk about the money thing and just love him and support him and let him in and stay in her feminine, be in her power. A lot of people think when you're in your feminine, all of a sudden, like you can't make money, you're not powerful. (laughs) That couldn't be further from the truth. The feminine is fierce and so powerful, but it's not that controlling micromanaging. I'm going to judge you and change you. That's not the feminine. So if she could just really relax in her feminine and, and open her heart, I bet his money story would change because I bet his money situation has to do with low self-worth on his end. Mm-hmm. And if she's still blocking him and has a wall up, that's reinforcing his story. He's not worthy. So if she were really just to love him and accept him unconditionally, all of a sudden she supports his healing. So we can support other people's healing by doing our own. We can't change people. We can't heal other people, but we absolutely can support other people's healing by doing our own. How often do you see people do just that kind of focus more on what other people should do versus doing their own work? All the time, (laughs) all the time. And this is the number one issue that I see happen in marriages is focus more on what's wrong with the other person, what they're doing wrong, what they need to change versus really looking at their own stuff. You know, I had a podcast. I coach people live on the podcast and I have- Which I love. (laughs) Thank you. But one woman called in and she asked me how she can stop obsessing about her husband's weight. Her husband was very overweight. And what we eventually got to is uh, that they did not have an intimate sexual relationship at all. A A lot of it was because she had sexual trauma in her past and he was a good man. And didn't want to cheat on her and and wanted to respect her. So he was basically starving. He was starving for love and was filling himself with food instead. And when she saw that, when she really got that, and and, uh, of course that wasn't to make her feel bad. That was just to have her look at how she was contributing and how she could support him in healing by not having him so starved for love and affection. And to really look at what she needed to heal inside of her. She was so fixated on how do I make him lose weight? And what program do I need to get him on? And what diet and this and that versus looking at 
what was unhealed inside of her. Well, I think the 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 thing that I really pulled out of that too is that when we're looking at our spouse or significant other from that place of like, how do I fix you in, in the judgment piece, we're always kind of looking at what's in their background. Yeah. Like what's in their past? What was in their childhood? What do I need to go talk to your mom about? Does she <laughs> you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to looking at what we can possibly be creating okay. just right now in the present. Right. That, you know, maybe there's there's some related triggers. Yeah. But we're also creating these whole new scenarios that have maybe something or nothing to do with that. But yeah, yeah. we're doing it, you know. Yeah, it's it's I think it, especially romantic relationships, it's important to understand your partner's core wounding, like really understand mm-hmm. it. Not from the place of I'm going to analyze you, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to blame you not doing something on your childhood. Um, but really, you know, know that you're not just in love with that grown up, like know there's a little boy or a little girl inside somewhere. And so knowing that, and that's something, you know, early on in, in my relationship with my fiance, we talked about, like we knew each other's childhood wounding, you know? And like, so for him, one of his, he had a very abusive father and he had super low self-worth and he moved here. He moved countries to be with me, left his business. And so when he got here, he struggled for a bit. Uh Now, the old me who was into micromanaging, fixing everybody's problems and pointing out all the things that was wrong would have gone in and said, you need to do this, this, and this, and you need to make sure you make friends. I would have just went in and kind of managed it. And instead, I just loved him because I knew that little boy just needed to, the little boy inside the grown man just needed to know he was lovable, even if he wasn't killing it. Like even, even if nothing, like he was just lovable because... And I just loved him. And it was incredible to see over the course of three months what he was able to create with me just saying, I got us, babe. I love you. I trust you. I believe in you. I validated him. I, I, I was just loving. And what happened was that he started to feel worthy and he really started to soar. Now, he was also aware of my stuff. Like I had, like I said, a little bit of an enmeshment I had some walls up. I had a lot of rejection and hurt and bullying. So like the woman that we shared about that I coached on stage at Bliss, I definitely had some walls up. And at first, when we first came together, he tried to bulldoze them down just by loving me a lot. And eventually we had this conversation about what his little boy needed and my little girl needed. And I said, you know, I I just, I'm like a cat, not a puppy. Like, let me come to you. I need a little time to feel safe. And so he just held and he just held this space and he was patient with me. Like he wanted to be affectionate all the time and like cuddle in the morning. I'm like, I don't want to cut. I need to get out of bed in the morning. Like no (laughs) cuddling for me. (laughs) But because he just held that space of I'm not going anywhere and you get to be how you need to be. And I love you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to force anything because I felt like a lot of things were forced on me, especially with a history of abuse. All. In time, my walls came down and now I'm the one that jumps him in the morning and wants cuddle time. And I'm the one that's like the puppy when he comes home. So I just wanted to share that to make it real for people of instead of trying to fix someone else, instead of looking at all the things they're doing wrong, instead of looking at all the wounds they need to heal, can you just love them? 
Can you just understand them? And can you just hold a safe space for them to be able to navigate things rather than holding a space where they feel judged or criticized or like they're walking on eggshells or like they're disappointing you? Because the worst feeling for a spouse or a partner or a child or a friend to have is to feel like they're disappointing you. So good. You know, Christine, what really... You really reminded me of a girlfriend who had to get me all the way together uh, mm-hmm. about a year ago. I was I was being that person. I was talking about what my husband needed to fix. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it real. And she says, well, the difference between you two, though, is that you got to fix all your junk on your own timeline and you're trying to put him on your timeline. Mm. She's like, because he doesn't come to you like you need to read a book. You need to listen to this podcast. You know, you need to go to this conference or this seminar or this thing. Or she's like, I've known you since you were 20 years old and you have been always into all of this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have always been on this path, but you've been on it on your own accord, like on your own will. Mm -hmm. No one else has had to come and push you or force you. Mm -hmm. So it's not fair that you want to push and force him and he's on his own path. No one is saying he's not said to you, I don't want to change, but the way in which he's coming about his evolution is just different. Right. So just accept it. And when I heard you talk about everyone has their own, you know, soul curriculum, I was like, "Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah." And that was the best thing, because I'll tell you, one of our things was was him reading. Like, I would be like, oh, my gosh, how do you not read? First of all, we've been together like 16 years, so I already knew. (laughs) But as common for many of us, when we start to evolve in a certain way, we want to force everyone else to do it. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was about him reading or it's about him listening to sermons when I wanted to listen to the sermon or listen to this podcast while I'm listening to it right here, right now with me. So we can hear the same thing at the same time. And it's after she told me that and I really thought through it, I was like, the nerve. Yeah. Me, right? <laughs> like, the nerve. Like, not only do I want to choose the content, I want to choose the place and the time. Yeah. And yeah. you need to feel the way I'm feeling like, and you better be focused when I'm focused. It's like, and I don't, I had never considered myself very aggressive in that way or, or yeah. bossy or anything. I just, I, because we want the best, quote unquote, for people, what we believe to be the best. Right. We also think that we have to choose the best process. Mm -hmm. And when I just let go and it was more like, you know, to your point, just showing them love and that no matter what, like, you're awesome. You are, you are my main squeeze, squeeze, whether you read this book or not, like you still are slowly, but surely he does it on his own. Yeah. Like here I was trying to force and manipulate And it's kind of like what I say in my books about finances. You can't force people to be better with finance. The only thing you can do is be the example. Exactly. Exactly. You know, present yourself in that way and they will see the benefits from your success with this and start to go, oh, well, what are you doing that I need to do versus you going, you need to do what I said, you know, when I say it. And for me, as as you were speaking, I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's I think it's something and I think it's a lot it's a, something a lot of women can relate to, especially, you know, heterosexual women who are married or with a man who are entrepreneurs who are doing personal growth work. I hear from time and time again for women like how do I get my man to change? And I'm like, okay, well, let's just unpack that because there's <laughs> everything we talked about and then there's also relationship is also a mirror. So 
it's like, what is that triggering? You know, what are they reflecting to you? Because we're not just triggered because we want them to be different. Like they're hitting a nerve, they're hitting a button. There's some part of us that, that doesn't feel safe or that doesn't feel connected or whatever. So it's kind of, we also, another thing that I always ask myself when I feel myself triggered is what does this remind me of? Like, what does this feeling remind me of? Mm. When have I felt unsafe like this or frustrated like this? I mean, the farther back in time you can go, the better. And, and sometimes it's just like we said, we just are attached. We feel safer when the people we love are coming along for the ride. That's the bottom line. Feels scary sometimes to be growing, to be learning, to be expanding and to feel like the people you love the most aren't coming along because one, it feels lonely. Two, it feels scary. And three, we fear if you don't come along, are we going to make it? Like, yeah. Are, are we, we going to grow apart? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it happens. That happened with me and my marriage. Now, I also was young, got married at 27. I didn't have the tools that I have now. Given if he and I met today, I bet it may be different, but that was our, that was our destiny. And the relationship had an expiration date. And, you know, not all relationships have to be awful and dramatic and, you know, drama for it to have an expiration date. Sometimes things are, are just complete. And that's something that no one can answer for us. That's a totally an inside job. But one thing I do know for sure is the more we're focused on changing someone else, the more off course we are on our own path. Mm. Oh, girl, I'm going to leave that right there, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, before I let you go, I have to ask you uh, some redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. Sure. You're going to just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. How do you define success? On how I feel. So when I define success as when you feel like you're, well, I'll I'll talk in I, when I feel fully self-expressed, when I feel like I'm living into my potential, not in my whole lifetime, but in that moment, And when I feel like I'm sharing my best self and serving at my best with others. I love that. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Hmm. Abundance, joy, (laughs) worthiness. Love it. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? The Science of Getting Rich Mm -hmm. that Wallace Waddles wrote in like, I think 1912 or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, Um, that book is kind of hard to read sometimes, but it just, I don't know, there's something about that book that just makes so much sense to me and really shifted how I looked at money and my relationship with money. I love it. Okay, fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. Like use my real name? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Christine. And for me, the truth about wealth is it's always a reflection of my own inner experience. Oof. Okay, that's a mic drop. (laughs) Christine, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. I am so excited for what the audience is going to get out of this episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about feelings <laughs> and all the things. Just thank you for being so honest and real and putting such amazing work out there. Now, didn't I tell you Christine was going to be amazing? Do you see why I was so enamored with her after Bliss Project? Like, oh my gosh. 
There's so many takeaways and I would love for you to discuss them with us. Make sure you come over to the Purpose Chasers community at IamAPurposeChaser.com and let's unpack what you took away from Christine's episode. My big one is still about self-compassion and just allowing myself to feel whatever it is I feel and not having to suppress it. And I have to say, after speaking to uh, Christine, I was telling my husband about just feeling aggressive and he ended up making an appointment with me for me. He made an appointment for me to go back to our old boxing trainer and just go get it out. And it was so good. That's like all I needed in that moment. And I just, I didn't even take the time to stop and do it for myself. So shout out to my husband, Gerald, Empire Builder, GW, for listening to what I was saying. And then also just encouraging me to go have that outlet to feel what I was feeling in that moment. And so I hope that you will take away from this that you deserve that. You deserve the opportunity um, to express whatever it is you're feeling and not feel like you have to suppress it in any way um, to forgive yourself as you are working towards forgiving others. And I think another big one is just accepting and embracing the fact that even the people you love, they have their own soul's curriculum. They have their own work to do. And so turning your attention away from what you need to do and your work is not going to help them, you know, get through their work any faster. (laughs) So thinking that you know what's best for them is just not your business. Maybe that should have been the title (laughs) of this episode. It's just not your business. Some things you have to just allow people to go through and allow them to do their work. And that is a big takeaway for me included, myself included. It's something that I'm holding on to. So make sure that you go and listen to me on Christine's podcast too. Such a powerful interview. It's over it and on with it. And let me tell you, she does these, most of her episodes are where she's doing live coaching. Mm. Get ready to get your life. It is so good. I binged on her podcast a couple weeks ago and I'm going to binge some more. Like, it is so good. Just turn it on and let it rip. Christine, you are doing your thing. Make sure you hit her up in social media and let her know how much you enjoyed this episode. And you can also hit me up in social media. I play a lot at Seek Wisdom PCW on Instagram. Seek Wisdom PCW on Instagram. Come on over. Tell me what you thought about this episode. Make sure you rate and review. And while we're on thinking about how we feel, make sure that you check out my girl, Amy at holistichealingwithamy.com. Book your consultation, figure out what you can grow yourself on that tower garden that I talked about earlier so that you can be in control of how your body feels. I'm super excited to talk to Amy myself. Again, it's holistichealingwithamy.com. You can book a free consultation and learn how you can incorporate the Tower Garden in your life. So make sure you check it out, holistichealingwithamy.com. And of course, before I get out of here, I got to remind you that the only reason I do what I do is because my heart truly wants to see you live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.